We're in for a very special treat today. Jeff Ferris, one of the preachers in the house, is coming to bring us the word. Lord, I just thank you for your word and for the power and truth that's in it. And Lord, I just pray that you would be with me today, that if I speak any words that are of you, I pray they would take root in the heart of those who have ears to hear and then bear fruit. But if I speak anything today that is not of you, I pray it would fall to the ground and die. In Jesus' name, amen. So, happy Father's Day. I want to honor the fathers. If you're a father, will you stand? Stand up if you're a father. Let's see all these fathers. Yeah. Let me pray. I'm going to pray over you. And uh, every father, I want every father to have a hand on them. So every, look around. Everybody's got to have a hand on them. Every father. Here's somebody back here standing without a hand on him. All right. Well, Lord, I just thank you that you as our father guide us in being fathers. And I pray you'll bless each one of these men that are standing, that you would give them wisdom and counsel, that you would give them favor, that you would bless the things that they put their hands to do in your name, in Jesus' name, amen. All right. So if you would, open your Bible to the book of John, chapter 14. We'll be looking at Scripture in uh, chapter 14, 15, and 16 in keeping with uh, what our pastor's been doing in preaching through the Gospel of John. And uh, while I'm excited that you're here today, uh, you want to be sure and come back and hear him next week. We have the most awesome pastor uh, in Granbury. Just <laughs> last, we were out of town last Sunday, but the Sunday before that, I told Sean we left, it's like, I think that's the best he's ever done. And he's done good before. So I'm just so blessed that the anointing of the Lord is upon you. So uh, in order for this not to be a total bomb today, uh, it's going to have to be audience participation. So uh, when I ask you to participate, will you do that? So uh, you give me the right to correct you if you're not? All right. Okay, let's get started. So what is this? Nike, just do it, right, and that's the title of the lesson, just do it, or as they say in Texas, get her done, say that louder, get her done, so we're going to talk about getting it done, just doing it, a company that I'm the CEO of, we just are bringing into our company, Partners and Leaderships, the Oz Principle, and I highly recommend it, the book is it's a good read, not a great read, but the principles in the Oz um, principle book are just outstanding. And it's all based on accountability, the positive side of accountability. Not Most of the time when you hear the word accountability, you think, okay, let's find a guilty party and hang him. And that's not what I'm talking about. They're, they're teaching principles on how to introduce accountability. See it, own it, solve it, do it. It's all about doing it, and it's based on the movie The Wizard of Oz, although that's just a small part of it, on the four characters. Who were the four characters in The Wizard of Oz? Did you say Toto? Toto was not one of the main characters. It was Dorothy, the Scarecrow, the Tin Man, and the Lion. 
And if you've seen the movie, and you probably have, the premise of it is they're trying to get to Oz to see the wizard so he can solve their problems for them. But in reality, when they get there, he doesn't do anything for them. He's, he's a sham because everything that they needed to succeed with, they already had inside of them. I mean, the tin man said he needed a heart, but if you go back and watch the movie, he cried through the entire trip. Uh, the scarecrow said he needed a brain, but he solved every problem they had on their trip to, to Oz. Uh, and the lion, who said, I'm a coward, every time they were faced with a dangerous situation, he showed courage. So all they got when they went to see the Wizard of Oz was an understanding. It's like, I can do this. All Dorothy had to do was click her heels. And I want to talk today, and we'll get to it, uh, as what God has done for us already in order for us to get her done. So there's different ways that people respond to things. John Maxwell says that pessimists complain about the wind, that optimists believe the wind will change, and that leaders adjust their sails. As things come into our life, we have the opportunity to do nothing, or you have the opportunity to make adjustments and respond to what's going on. Here's a great example of doing absolutely nothing. Fix it in a second. <laughs> he said he could fix it. <laughs> All right. All right. That's more like it. He says he can fix it. So it's funny, but how often have we seen that in life? How often have I can raise my hand and say, you know, I've done that. I've been faced with problems. I needed to make decisions, and I did absolutely nothing. And that is not how God created us. That's not what his plan for our life is. He created us to get stuff done. That's why he created us. This is pretty recognizable. Um, it's a gravestone, headstone, tombstone. And what are the most common things that are on every tombstone? Name, date you were born, and the date you die. I don't know that I've seen a tombstone that didn't have at least those three things on it. And what we 
do in life, what our life consists of to a great deal, is what happens between the date we're born and the date we die. We didn't choose to be born. God selected us. He he planned that we were going to be born. He created us for a reason. The Bible says we're all unique. Nobody has your fingerprints. Nobody has your iris print. You are like no other person that God's ever created. He created you for a purpose, to do something, to get things done. And we don't know when we're going to die. We don't. We do know it's appointed to man that they're going to die, so we know we're going to die. So what are we going to do with that time between when we're born and when we're dying? Our pastor uses this a lot. Be careful what you think. Your thoughts become your words. Your words become your actions. Your actions become your habits. Your habits become your character. And your character is everything. Now, man is a three-part being in uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And it reads, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your Holy Spirit and soul and body be preserved, blameless, under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are spirit. We have a body. We have a soul, and we live in a body. We're spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. Obviously, you know what your body is. You can see it. It's how we go about doing things in life. Our five senses are our body. Our soul is our character. It's our thought. It's, it's who we are. It's our personality. And our spirit, our spirit is the part that communes with God. It's what we're convicted when we do something wrong. That's the Spirit of God that's convicting you. Now, defining the three parts of man, as I just said, uh, our spirit's a part akin to God that can respond to God. Our soul, that's the human part that thinks and feels and chooses. And our body is what we see. Now, we have all kinds of important decisions that we make in our life. I just listed some of them. Where are you going to go to school? Who your friends are going to be? Your work, where are you going to work at? Dating and marriage. Statistics show that almost 99.9% of the time you're going to marry somebody that you date. So, when you're dating, think about that. Y'all are pretty slow. Okay. Where you live, children, church. Are you going to be in the ministry? All important decisions. And how do you go about making those decisions? Well, there's a man's view of how we make decisions, and there's God's view. The world believes we should make our decisions based on our desires and our will. So, audience participation. Y'all are going to be the world, and I'm going to tell you something I'm thinking about, and y'all's response is going to be, just do it. You know, I'm thinking about... Going to Texas A&M. Oh, you can do better than that. You know, I'm thinking about um, changing jobs. I'm thinking about uh, smoking a joint. Yeah, that's what the world would say, wouldn't they? They'd say, just do it, right? I'm thinking about getting married. Just do it. Right. I'm thinking about donating a kidney. Just do it. That is 
how the world's view is that we make decisions. Now, you may check with somebody. You may get on the Internet and Google information about what you're considering. But the world's view is you just make up your mind and do it. But what's God's view? God's view is different than that. God's desire is that we make decisions according to his will. The most commonly asked question of people about religion and about God is, what is God's will for my life? That's one of the most commonly asked questions. So God's will for our life is pretty pretty straightforward in some ways. He has a general will for our life. The Bible is his general will for our life. You want to know, should you steal or not? What does the Bible say in there? Don't steal. You want to know if uh, you should uh, work? The Bible says you should work or you shouldn't eat. But then there's God's specific will. And God's specific will is will that he, or wisdom that he imparts to you that's outside of the Scripture. Uh, It should be in align with the Scripture. The Bible says that a man should marry. But it doesn't say a man should marry Sean. But God has someone specifically that he wants you to marry. And wouldn't you be better off instead of taking the world's view and just, well, I think I'll get married. And just get married, wouldn't it be better? It's like, Lord, is this the person that you've set aside for me to marry? Absolutely. And God has several ways. Our pastor listed these a couple of weeks ago, ways in which we can understand the specific will of God through an inward witness, prophecy, dreams or visions, godly wisdom, angelic visitation, and audible voice. And probably if I ask a number of you, could raise your hand and say, yeah, God spoke to me in that way. I remember one of the first times that God spoke to me was when I was um, in the hospital. We had just, living, living according to God's will, the way I look at it is being led by the Spirit. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But uh, when Sean and I first began to understand what it was like to live being led by the Spirit of the Lord. We were in San Antonio, and we were going to this faith-based church. And we just, man, that was so cool to understand what faith is all about. And that's a whole other message to teach. But um, we began to believe that God did speak to us outside of the Scripture. In addition to the Scripture, God could speak to us. And one night going home from church on a Wednesday night, I just started having this terrible headache. And to make a long story short, I ended up in the emergency room that night. And they didn't know what was wrong with me, but they, it was serious. And they thought that I might not live. They thought I might have an aneurysm. It turned out I had viral encephalitis. But at some point in that time, I was in the room alone. And this figure came to the door and said, I've been sent to tell you everything is going to be all right. Prior to understanding that God speaks to us that way, I would have thought, man, I must have been taking some really strong drugs. (laughs) But I don't believe that. I believe I had an angelic visit to reassure me 
that God knew what was going on and he was taking care of me. And I'm sure all of you could testify to having God's will being imparted to you uh, in one of these ways. In John 14, uh, chapter 14, verses 15 through 16, and before I read this, maybe lay a little background for you. Um, this is... In there, it's at the Last Supper, and... In chapter 13, Jesus has washed the disciples' feet and they've had the Passover meal and he knows that in probably 12 hours or less, he's going to be crucified. And at the end of chapter 14, he says, get up, we got to (laughs) go. And then in chapter 15 and 16, the way I understand it, they're standing and he continues to talk to them. And at the end of chapter 16, he says, we're, we're going, boys. And they leave and go to the garden. So with that background, you have to understand that this is his last opportunity before he's crucified for him to tell, for, for him to tell them some very important information. And in chapter 14, verse 15 through 16, he says, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate or comforter who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot recognize him because it isn't looking for him. And it doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. He's telling them, I'm going, but I'm sending a comforter. And in fact, later you'll see how important it is that the comforter come. But it's interesting to note, when I talked about man being a three-part being, it's interesting to note in this specific couple of verses, it talks about the three parts of God. It talks about God the Father. Jesus is talking. He's the Son. And it talks about the Holy Spirit. God the Father, the Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. I put a question mark there because, you know, if, when I, I, I don't struggle with this, but I, every time I start thinking about God being a three-part being, trying to get my head around that, and the Holy Spirit, I think, he, he, I mean, God knows, so I'm not saying he's wrong. He's never wrong. But it had been easier if he had given him a name. I mean, he's got... The Father, okay, the Son, and then the Holy Spirit. You could have named him J.R. And then real formal people could call him James Robert, and we could call him Jim Bob. (laughs) But God is a three-part being, and all three parts are God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Having God living in you, it's like having a GPS in your head so you're never lost. It's like having a dictionary in your head during the National Spelling Bee. It's like having God on your team when you're playing Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader. (laughs) You ready? 
The third grade world geography question is Budapest is the capital of what European country? Budapest is the capital of what European country Nathan has already locked in? This might be a stupid question. I'm guessing it's probably okay. going to be. Like, I thought Europe was a country. Let's see. Budapest. Budapest? I never even heard of that. All right, here's your, here's your options. I mean, you could drop out with $10,000. Like, got... I know they speak French there. Don't they? Like, I want to say, is France a country? I don't know what I'm doing. You know what? Let's, let's, talk, like... let's talk about your options. Okay. Kel. Yes. Focus. I am. Like, I'm listening to what you're saying, but I only hear what I want to. That's just oh, listen, did you hear that? we got to play that again. I'm listening to what you're saying, but I only hear what I want to. That's just called being a woman. Oh. <laughs> well, well, we could just call the show, Are You Smarter Than a Man? No, I because women don't... Women don't really want to hear a man's opinion. They just want to hear their opinion in a deeper voice. That's what they want when they talk to us. Let's talk about this. I really want you to get the 25000 because no matter what happens after that, you're walking yeah. out of here with 25000 It's all charity. about the charity, so i got to think what's best for them. Let's see. I am just going to copy. Copy. Come on. If you had had to guess, if you had had to guess, do you have a guess? I don't think France is a country, but I would have said that. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going to say France. I don't know. Okay. France is a country. I will tell you it that. Is. If you had said France, you would have gone home with nothing. That is Ooh. not the right answer. <sighs> the right answer is hungry. Is what? Hungry. Hungry? Like I'm hungry. That's a country? <laughs> I've heard of turkey, but hungry, never heard of it. But the answer is hungry. So, if Nathan said hungry, your charity's got $25,000. If he didn't, you You're walk not away smiling, with nothing. Nathan. You're not smiling. Oh. Kelly, take a look at the board. For $25,000, your fifth grade classmate, Nathan, said, Hungry! Great, you're the best. Thank you. Oh, can you believe someone would not, that someone would, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to say that. But, you know, even in looking at that, I have to think, that God looks down at us when we're faced with some decisions and our thought process is just that ridiculous. I mean, when we have God's Word and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us and we choose to do some of the things we do, while that was funny, I think when we're 
acting the way we often act, making some of the decisions we often make, it breaks God's heart. It breaks our Father's heart that we're doing that. Especially when you consider that He loved us so much that He allowed His Son to die for us. And in dying for us, He's provided us with this Holy Spirit to live inside of us. So John fifteen twenty six, But I will send you the Advocate, or the Counselor, the Spirit of Truth, and He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. John sixteen seven. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the Advocate, or the Comforter, won't come. If I do go away, then I will send Him to you. There's so much more I want to tell you but you can't bear it now. There's some version to say, but I don't have time to tell you now. Which, if you remember the lead-in to me reading these, reading these verses, Christ is going to be crucified right after that. So it makes sense to me that if he had all this stuff to tell him, but he was going to be crucified before you could tell him, and he's telling them that the Holy Spirit is going to come and live inside of them, then... He's going to tell us the things he needs to tell us through the Holy Spirit living inside of us. that makes sense? There's so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I say the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God speaking to us through the Holy Spirit. These are unbelievable times that we live in. If you think about it, and you read back through the Bible... There were times when God only spoke to one person. He only spoke to one prophet who would declare, here's what God has said. And then 400 years, the 400 years right before Christ came, he didn't speak at all. Can you imagine? I can't, I can't imagine going a day without God speaking to me. Can you imagine going a week or a year? I have. <laughs> I have. I've gone for long periods of time without God speaking to me. And it's because this is how I was living my life. I mean, we, don't, we, we can't be good enough for God to speak to us. We don't earn that. As a Christian, we receive this gift of salvation. And along with it, we get this bonus. We get the Holy Spirit that comes to live inside of us. And... I know some people that work for me would be terrified if they knew that a lot of decisions that I made on my job were based on my understanding of here's what God is telling me to do about this. And sometimes those decisions don't line up with the spreadsheets. Sometimes those decisions don't line up with the facts that are put in front of me. And I get some pretty strange looks sometimes when I say, I understand that, but I think... This is what we're going to do. And I would like to say that I always hear clearly 
every time from the Lord. <laughs> and I, I don't always. Sometimes I miss it. But it's not that he is wrong. It's just that I didn't hear correctly. God has never once let me down. Not one time. He's always been faithful. And he's faithful to his word. When he spoke to the prophet Joel in the Old Testament, Joel prophesied these words. It's recorded. And then they're restated in Acts when on Pentecost, Peter said, in the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. I had a vision one time. Um, I was at a church service. And I was in the presence of the Lord. And the Lord came to me and showed me a door. And he opened it. And it was a door, room full of kids, teenagers. And he said, see all these kids? These were the kids that I had set aside for you to minister to. And you walked away from me. And you walked away from my will for your life. And he shut the door. And I was grieved thinking about that time in my life because I knew the time in the life he was talking about. And then he showed me another door. And he opened that door. And it was a room full of teenagers. And he said, these are the kids I prepared for you to minister to now. Will you do it? So right after that, I became the youth pastor of this church with my wife. And we had a handful of kids in our youth group. And over a period of time, the Holy Spirit moved through our city. It moved through a number of kids. And we would have standing room only over 100 kids in our class on Wednesday night, just like you guys are starting to do. But it was... It wasn't me. I, I want to be sure I come across that, hey, I wasn't, it wasn't because of me, but it was, because of, it was because of me listening to God's will and me doing what God wanted me to do, my wife doing what God wanted her to do. And that's a great example of how blessed we are to live in the age in which we live and having God speak to us the way that he speaks to us today. Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, But the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Don't you love it as a Christian when things are not going well and someone says, how can you be so calm? In the, do you not understand what's going on? Or when everybody else is depressed, you have joy. And that is not of you that you're able to do that. That's the Holy Spirit that lives inside. It, there is no greater way to live than to be led by the Spirit of God and to have the Holy Spirit inside of you. I can't imagine. Well, I can't. I do. I know what it's like to live without seeing the fruits of the Spirit in your life. 
and I've tasted that, and I've tasted this, and I'll take this. I'll take the fruits of the Spirit over the fruits of the world every time. The fruits of the world may taste good for a season, but the consequences of the fruits of the world are it will destroy your life. It will destroy your relationships. It's one thing for us to know what God's will is for our life. And it's another thing for us to do it. Wisdom without action leads to nothing. In uh, that leadership training class I was talking about, we're bringing into our company. The four steps are see it, own it, solve it, and do it. And they stressed over and over again, if you don't do it, then you really wasted your time in trying to solve it. And I have a couple of examples of what it was like when Christ was on earth and he gave people a word and they did it. But did you ever think what would have happened if they hadn't have done it? In this example, it's when uh, it was at the wedding and they ran out of wine, which is a big, big deal. That's not good And a Jewish wedding to run out of wine back in Jesus' time. And his mother came to him and said, hey, you need to do something about this. And so he told them, he said, fill these jars with water and now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. And when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, he called the bridegroom over and a host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine, but you have kept the best until now. But what if they had said, I'm not going to take this water out of these clay pots and give it to a guy? Why would I do that? Why would I allow myself to be foolish enough to take a cup of water to someone and give it to him and tell him it's wine? I mean, they had to, Jesus said, so I think I'll do it, even though There's no way they could understand what just happened. They just did it. Another example is uh, when Jesus was going into Jerusalem, um, he came across a man that was paralyzed. And Jesus asking, would you like to get well? Would you like to be healed? And the man said, "I, I can't. Or I have no one to put me in the pool when the water bubbles up. There was this belief that an angel would come and trouble the waters And if you were the first one to get into the pool while the water was moving, you would be healed. And this man is telling Jesus, I I can't get well because I can't walk. And when the water gets troubled, everybody else gets there before I do. So Jesus says, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. It doesn't say he was healed in verse 8. It says instantly the man was healed. I'm thinking that the way I read it, I think he was healed when he started to actually try to get up. He could have laid there and said, you know, I don't feel any different. I don't look any different. I don't think I'm going to be foolish enough to try and get up and walk. I've been laying my whole life. 
But he did. He got up and he walked. And then there's a blind man. This one. God, they just do weird stuff, you know. Um, This man was blind. He'd been blind his whole life. And so Jesus chooses to heal him. So in verse 6, it says, He spit on the ground, he made mud with saliva, and he spread the mud over the blind man's eyes. And he told him, Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. So what did the man do? He went and washed himself in the pool of Siloam, and he could see. But what if he had not done that? What if while he was thinking about going and doing what Jesus told him to, he listened to the whispers of the people saying, Did you just see that? He spit on the ground and put mud on this guy's eyes. And he told him to go wash it off and he could see. That's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. And the blind man could have said, you know, that is stupid. I'm not going to do that. But he didn't. He did it. Leaving or living a spirit-filled life is an exciting journey. I mean, God will ask you to do some things that you're not going to understand why he's asking you to do it. He's going to ask you to do some things that make no sense to you. But He is God and we are not. And while His Scripture tells us the specific, I mean the general will for us, the Holy Spirit inside of us is a way in which He can tell us His specific will for us. There's things God's asked me to do that I'm I'm still trying to understand. Uh, And sometimes we do stuff and you don't see the immediate results of of you you did something. I mean, I'm, I'm, y'all know me well enough so when I say some of these things, you know I'm not being prideful because everybody in here has done stuff the Lord's told them to do. But the Lord's told me to give money to people, total strangers. The Lord's pointed out people that I didn't know they were in need. You would never know it. And instructed me to give them something, possessions, and I'd give it to them. And every time I've done that, I've been so more blessed by doing it than by refusing to do it. I'm embarrassed to tell you that God has told me to do things, and I haven't done it. I just didn't do it. Go give that person $100. You know, I don't have $100 right now. I mean, I do, but, and I didn't do it. Go mow this person's lawn. I'm not mowing that person's lawn. There's, they can mow their own lawn. I mean, there's, oh, I can give you, you know, I'm probably going to lose all credibility with you, but I can list more things. I can list, list more things God has told me to do and I didn't do it, then I could things God has told me to do, and I did it. I'm sure all of you heard one of the most puzzling things that God had me do. I was in a men's retreat one time, and and be careful when you make these type of 
vows to God. I said, Lord, I'll do anything you want me to. I was all caught up, you know, in this spirit living thing. And uh said, I'll stand on my head for you. Literally, I was thinking that God, I would allow God to turn my world upside down. That's what I was saying, and that's what I should have said. But uh, anyway, the next morning in the church service, during worship, God said, go stand on your head. So I did. I really questioned the wisdom of our elder that I went to and said, God wants me to stand on my head. But uh, anyway, he allowed me to do that. And to this day, I'm still trying to understand what was that all about. Because I still run across people that will say, I was in a meeting in Fort Worth, Dallas area, and they were talking about, did you hear about that guy that stood on his head? But I can promise you that God's ways are higher than our ways. And I want to challenge you today to take advantage of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you and to seek His will for your life, to listen for that voice. And it may not be an audible voice. It probably won't be. For me, it's an impression. It's a, I know God is speaking to me. So I want to tell you about what happened or the events that led up to November 20th of last year. So I'm in church, and uh, we're singing this song, um, Jesus is Our Healer. And so God puts it on my heart that we should sing this song over Gary Kidder. It's like, that song's for Gary Kidder. You need to sing that over Gary. So there's my friend Gary. So I came to the elders that I think we need to sing this song over Gary, so I stood up here and we all stretched our hands out toward him and sang, Jesus is your healer. And then that was it. I went home. I thought that was cool. Hey. So time passes and um, we're in worship. And the Lord says, um, go check with Gary. See how he's doing. Well, my best friend is that Gary, Gary Zeger. So I'm like, cool. So, and so just a little sidebar. When you get a word from God, I would encourage you to not freak people out. <laughs> Don't go to them and say, God has given me a word for you. So I didn't go up to Gary and say, God told me to check with you and see if everything's okay. I went up to Gary and said, how are things going, Gary? Everything going all right? And things are going great for Gary. Okay, his job, he had just one positive thing after another to share. And so I thought, okay, cool. Maybe I probably... God had me go to Gary Zeger so I could be encouraged about what God's doing in his life. So I turn around, and there's Gary Kidder standing right there. And I'm like, oh, maybe I'm supposed to check on this Gary. Now, Gary Zeger is my best friend. Gary Kidder is my brother in Christ. And 
there's best friends, and then there's brothers in Christ. There's people that we say that are friend. I consider people in here my friend. But, you know, really, really good friends are ones you hang out with. You've been to their house to eat. They've been to your house to eat. You, you have a lot of things in common. You share things with them you wouldn't share with other people. And I don't have that relationship with Gary Kidder. I, did, I, don't, I, did, I don't. I didn't. So I asked Gary, how are you doing? And his report was he was doing good, but he was very much looking forward to the next few weeks because he was going to find out if he was going to be approved to get on the donor list. And I thought, oh, okay. Um, so I said, I'll be praying about that. And I don't, when I tell someone I'll pray for you or I'll be praying about that, I honor that. I do it. And I would encourage you to be careful about <laughs> telling people, well, yeah, I'll pray. I'll, pray. I'll pray for that. And then just never once pray about it. Don't do that. If you tell someone, I will pray, be praying about that, then you need to be praying about it. So I did. I began to pray every day about Gary Kidder getting on the donor list. And the more I prayed, the more involved I became in that. So time passes. We're in worship. I th- maybe I should just not come. I think I'll just start skipping worship and just come for the word. So anyway, I was in worship and um, the Lord said, uh, go ask Gary what his blood type is. So I knew where this was going. So I went and asked Gary after church, what's your blood type? Same as mine. So we talked a little bit about what's involved in donating a kidney. And uh, so he said, well, I'll get you a packet of information. So he did. And uh, I brought it home and was looking at it. And this, I want to stop here and tell you, do not do this. I was wrong in the way I went about doing this. You know, I, I knew this is what the Lord wanted me to do. At some point, there was no doubt in my mind. That's what the Lord wanted me to do. But I didn't talk to my wife about it. Because I knew that she would be concerned. And she should have a right to be. And she has a way of persuading me, (laughs) as wives do. And I thought, if I talk to her about it, I'll begin to doubt it. And I may change my mind. So that was wrong of me to do that. So, anyway, I filled out the paperwork, sent it in, had every test known to man done on me. And they came back and said, well, in addition to your blood type matching, we do three tissue types, and we need at least one of them to match. And you match perfectly on all three. And they say that is unheard of for someone who's not of the same family. So that was just further confirmation that, hey, God has selected me to donate a kidney to Gary. And I had a lot of people say, that was great. I'm proud of you for doing that. And I I received that. But to be honest with you, I did not want to do it. I did not want to give Gary Kidder a kidney. I can look at him and tell him that. 
I don't do surgery well. I always get sick. It's always more complicated than they say it's going to be, and that turned out to be the case in this. But, you know, I began to become obsessed about the Bible story of Abraham and Isaac. And I had convinced myself, and this wasn't the Lord telling me this, I just had convinced myself that a ram was going to show up. Remember that story? Abraham's supposed to offer up Isaac at the sacrifice, and at the last minute, wait, there's a ram. And in the back of my head, I never told anybody this, I just knew that's what's going to happen. So God's just testing me, and it's going to get to that point, and He won't require me to do it. But when they roll me on the elevator and the doors are shutting, I remember thinking, that ram is not coming. (laughs) And he didn't. You know what? I am so, so excited that he didn't. Well, I am happy that Gary is doing so well. And as I call my left kidney lefty, Gary and lefty are doing really good. (laughs) It's like it always is with God. You can't outdo him. The, the, The story of Elijah and the widow woman and how she had nothing. She had one meal and she was going to feed it to her son And then they were going to die. And how Elijah shows up and says, I'm hungry. Feed me. So while the woman is preparing the meal, (laughs) knowing that she's going to give it to this guy and that they're going to die, she does it out of obedience to the Lord. And because she was obedient, she was so blessed. Elijah, God didn't send Elijah to the widow woman so that he could bless her. I mean, he didn't send her to the widow woman so the widow woman could feed him. He sent her to the widow woman so the widow woman could be blessed by him. And that's exactly what happened to me. I mean, while I donated a kidney to Gary Kidder, what I got out of that is a whole new spirit-led life that I never would have gotten if I had not done what the Lord asked me to do. I apologize. I know we're running late. But, you know, since then, uh, Sean and I have just recommitted our life to being led by the Spirit to the point that, you know, I think a lot, well, if I'll give a kidney up, you know, I'll do anything. I mean, I think that a lot. If I'll do that, then I'll do it. How how silly would it be for me to give up a kidney and then, no, God, I'm not going to do that. So anything God asks me to do, I'm prepared to do. And I started thinking about all the things God had asked me to do that I hadn't done. So I want to challenge you to think about what has the Lord asked that you haven't done. 